We are continuing on in our topical sermon series here called The Cross Changes Everything. And we're going to be looking this morning at how the cross shapes the church. And I don't mean the physical building. There was a trend uh, in architecture, I think, in, in Catholic cathedrals for the church to be laid out as a cross to symbolize that the cross was what shaped the church. And while I applaud the architecture, I think it kind of misses the point. The church is not the building. We're talking about the people. We're talking about us, people saved by Jesus Christ. My favorite teacher when I was in high school was my physics teacher. His name was Mr. Wegley. He was just a wonderful guy. He was actually a Christian guy. He came. He was like a sponsor of a Bible study. We needed a teacher sponsor for a student organization. We had a Bible study on campus, and he would come, and he'd be a part of that. But I loved him, too, as a physics teacher. I don't know anybody like physics. Some people are like, no way. That's the worst thing in the world. I loved physics, and I think Mr. Wegley was, was part of that, a big part of that. He could take really complex ideas and explain them in a simple way that, that he could really help us to understand it. But even still, sometimes as he would explain things to us, as high school students, we just didn't always get it. And where Mr. Wegley went above and beyond was that he would so often have a demonstration ready to show us what he was teaching about. I'll never forget one of them. This is the one that sticks out most vividly in my my mind. He set up this contraption on his desk. There was a a Nerf gun on one side and, and a stuffed animal kind of suspended in the air on the other side. And the Nerf gun was pointed at the stuffed animal. And he would set them maybe four or five feet apart. He had a trigger that would release, it would drop the stuffed animal and shoot the Nerf gun. And, and so if he put them three feet from each other, he would release and shoot, and it would hit the stuffed animal. He could move them ten feet apart. He could release and shoot, and they would still, it would always hit the stuffed animal. Does anybody know why? What is constant? Gravity. Thank you, Mitchell. Because gravity is always constant, 9.8 meters per second squared. I remember these things because of Mr. Wegley, and he didn't just teach. He demonstrated. I remember a day we took a hoverboard out into the hallway and, and we were able to sit on this sled that he had built and ride it down the hallway. And it was a demonstration of the coefficient of friction and all this sort of stuff. It was great because he demonstrated us. He showed complex mathematical equations using things that we could see and understand and work with and identify with. The cross of Jesus Christ is not physics. Okay? It's so simple A child can understand the cross. A child can get that you need a savior and Jesus, the son of God, went and died in your place. A child can get that. At the same time, there are elements of the truth of the cross that run deeper than any human understanding. And the call as a disciple, follower, a believer in Jesus Christ is that we are constantly to be going deeper and deeper and deeper in our understanding of what the cross is and how it impacts our world. And then we are to demonstrate that truth to the world. And what I want to talk about today is that we can stand up and proclaim the message of the cross. And that's good, it's appropriate, it's true, and it's necessary But I'm going to argue from Scripture, it's not enough. God didn't send us just to proclaim the truth of the cross. He has sent us to display it. We, we are the stuffed animal and the Nerf gun. 
that people go, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. And we say, look at us. Look at what Christ has done in and through us. And they say, wow, I don't really understand this stuff about the cross or Jesus. I'm starting to get it, but I see who you are. And I see the truth at work in you. And I want that. We need to understand that to proclaim and display the truth of the gospel, the truth of the cross, God created this thing called the church. God created the church. It's not a man-made, human-made organization. It's not a traditional organization or a historical organization. It is created by God. About 10 years ago, I wrote quickly. I remember we were trying to get the website kind of tweaked. I was brand new here. I was like, I need to put something on the front page of the website about who we are. And this is what I wrote. When God wanted to bring the incredible message about new life through his son's death and resurrection to the world, he didn't create a program, build a structure, or start a country. He used a group of people. Though these people were different from each other and were each flawed, what joined them together was that they had been changed by Jesus. We, speaking about Orchard, we are just one of many churches around the area, the country, and the world who are seeking to do the same thing. My prayer when you come to Orchard is that you will see people whose lives will point you to Jesus and that you will be so amazed by Jesus that you will accept what he has done for you and follow him as well. A couple weeks ago, I remember I was thinking, it's probably time to do a little bit of updating. Maybe we need to tweak that. I mean, the picture of me is 10 years old now. It's fine. It's probably better. <laughs> but I got to that paragraph and I was reading. I was like, yeah, we, we, we probably need to update that. And I read it and I thought, no. I, I, I'm not saying like I was a genius back then. I mean, I kind of was. But I don't know what happened between then and now. Um, but, but I read that and I thought, I, I don't think I could say that much better now. And why? Ch- this is who we are. To who we've always been as a church, to who we will always seek to be through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I desire for us, I want for us, and I am so glad for us, we are, I believe, a cross-shaped church. A church defined by, changed by, the cross of Jesus Christ. But we need to make sure and be diligent and be intentional that that is exactly what we continue to be. Because it's easy to slip away from that. So today, that's what we're going to look at. What does it mean to be a cross-shaped church? We need to start with understanding that the church, as I said before, it's not created by us. It's created by God through the cross of Jesus Christ. The church is created through the cross. You know, over time, Things that start with a really good purpose and intention, they, they tend to drift. Have you ever seen these, this in organizations or things in your life? Did you know that, that Yale, Harvard, and Princeton were all started as very Christ-focused, gospel-centered schools? Two of them, I think it was Yale and Harvard, were started by the Puritans. I mean, you talk about people that upheld the word of God and the absolute authority of the word of God. The Puritans are are just a, a shining beacon of that throughout the history of the United States. And they started these schools to continue that mission. Could you imagine a professor today at Yale, Harvard, Princeton, saying Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and the Bible is the absolute authority in this world? He would be fired like that. It would be scandalous. Those 
organizations, those schools have drifted so far. And I'm not saying that to complain, oh, woe is us, they've changed. I'm saying that to hold them up as an example to say, see, Christian, this is what happens when we forget where we came from and why we're here. And it happens so easily. And it's not just with those people out there. It's not just with those big organizations. It happens with these people right here and the people we see in the mirror. We drift. We forget. Why did God create the church. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. I love this passage for so many reasons. One is that when I was in high school, the youth pastor at, at my, my church in high school, this, he chose this as our youth ministry verse or passage. And we were called the tribe, and we had big shirts with the tribe and had an Indian on it. You probably wouldn't do that today, but that's what it was. I know. We were the tribe, and it was based on this passage. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see there what the purpose of the church is? that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. That's why we exist. We exist, if I could sum that up, put it in Dave Day language, we exist to point to God. In all things, in all ways, at all times, as a church, that is the reason we exist. Not just us, Orchard Community Church, all churches. I hope and pray when you come in, you feel encouraged, challenged, uplifted, supported, absolutely. Hurting, I pray that you can come and find healing, absolutely. But those things are all things that happen along the way of accomplishing the mission of pointing in everything we do to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Being a cross-shaped church means that we keep at our core the purpose of everything we do to point to the cross of Jesus Christ. And he talks about here uh, what made the church. What is it that made us who we are? He uses this language that was so rich to the Jewish people. They were the chosen people of God. They were called out by God. They were shaped into a holy nation. They were this brand new uh, kingdom on the face of this earth. But that's not what Peter's talking about here. He's using that language, but he's talking about the church. The church is not about land. It's not about a kingdom. It's not about bound. Well, it is about a kingdom. It's not about an earthly kingdom. It's not about earthly boundaries. It's not even about earthly properties. The church is about people who have been shown mercy through the cross of Jesus Christ by God. That's the church. So often we talk about traditions, talk about legacies. We are, some of you don't know this, we're an incredibly old church. We are... I don't know, somewhere between 172 and 174 years old as a church. We were founded in like 1853, I think. I love when when historical things come on, especially American history, which is much shorter. But when historical things come on, and and I'll tell the kids, I was like, yeah, that happened after our church started. That's, That's how old we are. And it's great, the legacy that we have as a church. But we are not here to promote a legacy. We're not here to celebrate a history. 
We are here to point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we have that mentality, the legacy becomes important. The history becomes an example of that. We're not here to support a certain style of worship. We weren't created because people that liked each other and gathered together because they wanted a certain feel in worship came together in this place. We are created as a church. We must be created as a church by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Called out of darkness. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church is not a building. It's not a group of programs. It's not a social club. It's not an entertaining experience or personal or societal therapy. The church is a group of people who have received mercy from God through the cross of Jesus Christ, where we are saved. The church is created by the cross. Paul writes about this in Ephesians or yeah, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I've looked at this passage so many times throughout this series as we've looked at Paul's importance on the cross and how he said when he was among a certain group of people, he resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. He says, that's where I'm keeping my focus. We, we went to what we learn about ourselves through the cross. So we're dead in sin, but we can be made alive in Jesus Christ. We looked at how Christ died as our substitute. It was our cross, our penalty of our sin, and he went there instead of us so that we can be saved. We looked last week at what it means to live a cross-shaped life, life has, how the cross changes us and shapes us as individuals. But now we need to bring that together because when we come to the New Testament, so many of these wonderful passages where we hold on to this hope that we're given of who we are in Christ Jesus, we need to take a step back and remember this wasn't just written to an individual person or a loose collection of individuals, it was written to the church. The promises of Christ in salvation were always meant to be experienced by Christians collectively in the group of the church. The New Testament has very little concept of the individual Christian off doing their own thing. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 1 through 5. Listen to our identity in the gospel. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath or deserving of wrath but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved that's that's our legacy right there that's our history that's our origin story that's where we are born as a church we didn't do it we didn't get together and say hey Let's come up with a plan, five steps over the next 2,000 years, how we're going to fix this world. No, we were lost. We were dead. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves or to save the world. God didn't call us together because we're so amazing and so awesome. He called us together because he saved us. 
And he says, those other people, they need what you've got. That's right. And you need to show it to them. I I just went shopping on Amazon, I think, all of a sudden there. But Christ didn't stop there. He says, okay, this is who you were. This is who you are now. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, Paul continues. He says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The church is a God-created, gospel-created, cross-created body of believers. We are given this as our purpose to display and to point to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is foundational to who we are in everything we do. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in our place. And we're given new life in Him. That's what makes the church the church. That's it. And we have to be so careful because when we start putting other things in there or on top of that or under that, well, the church is people that dress this way. It's, it's people that act this way. It's people that agree on a music style or certain form of government or they're all Republicans or they're all Democrats. As we start doing that, we will lose the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will fail to be the church of Jesus Christ and we morph into becoming another civic organization or just another clique in our society. And our society doesn't need that. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are created through the cross. Then we have a mission to proclaim the cross. The cross is a message. The truth about Jesus Christ God's son dying in our place on the cross is a message that must be proclaimed. It is truth that must be communicated. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says this so clearly. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? It's talking about people that don't know Jesus. How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Preaching. The preaching of the word of God. The message of the cross is the focal point of everything the church does. But I need to be careful. We need to be careful. Because I think the word preach in this context is much bigger than just what I'm doing right here. Absolutely includes this. I am preaching the gospel to you. But preaching is a communication, an exclaiming of a truth. You are preaching the gospel when you talk about Jesus in your homes. When you gather in a small group and you're opening up the word of God and you're talking about it, you are preaching the gospel. When you get together with your neighbor and they're struggling and you say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, you are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel must be communicated. At various times throughout church history, there's this emphasis on on we shouldn't say the gospel. We, We shouldn't proclaim it. We should just show them. They just need to see it. If I walked into my physics class that morning and and I saw a monkey hung on a magnet and a dart gun and my, my teacher just got up there, hit a button and the monkey fell and the gun shot him and then my teacher turned around and walked out of the classroom, what would I have learned? Nothing. Would have been impressed, maybe. Maybe felt bad for the monkey. 
Maybe I'd want to go and get the new Nerf gun. I don't know. I could have taken anything I wanted out of that. But he got up there and said, now this is what it means. He proclaimed truth. We need to be a church that proclaims the gospel. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you see that? See, a a disciple is a learner follower. That's what it means in the New Testament culture. A follower that learns, a learner that follows. Both are together. But fundamental to being a disciple is being taught. The church must proclaim, communicate truth in order to be shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, often in this passage, we'll look at the go. And and that's good and it's important. In fact, next week, we'll look at a cross-shaped mission. And what that means to share the gospel with our neighbors and and to go overseas and missions and why that's so important. But this week, I want to look at the make disciples part of it. I hope you're kind of familiar with this. This is our mission statement as a church. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of God, uh, power of the gospel for the glory of God. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers. How does that happen? It has to start with a proclamation of truth, a teaching of truth. It has to continue with a proclamation of truth. We must know the message so that then we can follow that truth and live it out in our lives. It's why if you come to a small group here at Orchard, a Sunday school class, as as you hear the word being preached up here, hopefully as you look at our songs, what you are to see is the word of God. Not my ideas, not your ideas, certainly not our culture's ideas. We need to be shaped by the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, if we don't do that, we are called to make disciples. And I believe as a church, we will make disciples whether we meet it or not. And what happens is if we start putting our own ideas onto everything that we're doing, guess what we're making disciples of? Ourselves. That's terrifying. Or if we bring in the world's ways of of thinking and our culture's idea and then we make disciples, guess what we're making uh, disciples of? Our world. That's terrifying. We are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to be careful that we're not helping people just through our own ideas or tips or techniques. It must be the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only the message of the cross can truly save someone and change them. And this is what the church must proclaim. Now, I hope and pray, as they say, that I'm preaching to the choir here. I am always impressed by this church and your desire to get together and dig deep into the word of God. I'm always impressed on our midweek studies and our Sunday school classes. We go deep into the word of God. But I wanted to make sure I said it because I want everybody to know this is foundational to who we are. The proclamation of the word of God. But we can't stop there. The church must also display the truth. Proclaim the truth. And then we live our lives on display for the world to see. 
It's important to believe the truth about the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what creates the church. But we can't just stop there. God didn't create us to be a bunch of angry people on street corners with megaphones shouting at people that walked by. He created us to be in the world, living for Jesus Christ, demonstrating and proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church must be, just like my my physics teacher, this living demonstration of the truth that we are proclaiming. I want to take you to kind of an odd passage. Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. The context here is, is that Paul is writing about challenging Peter. Peter was one of the very first apostles, uh, considered by most people to be the leader of, of all the, the apostles as they worked on their mission that Jesus had given them. He was a big deal. Paul came in kind of late in the game. He was specifically called by Jesus to go to the Gentiles, also kind of a big deal. But here we have Paul saying he challenged Peter to his face. Why? See, what was happening is that Peter had been saved by the gospel. He he believed in Jesus, only way of salvation. But as a good Jewish man, he, he shifted. He fell away a little bit from the truth of the gospel. And he started, just to keep people happy, he started only hanging out with Jewish people. He would only go into Jewish people's homes. This was a Jewish custom, a Jewish law, but it wasn't the gospel. And so Paul challenges him. And he says this in verse 14, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. That's the phrase I want to look at right there. Not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Paul is assuming something that I think we've kind of lost sight of. And that is that there are actions of the church that naturally flow out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are actions in the church that we may do without even thinking about it that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ and may undermine the message of its truthfulness. That's a big deal. What if our actions undermine the truth that we're proclaiming? What's the world going to do? And what do we hear so often when people say out in the world, well, I don't know if I could be a, a Christian because those Christians are such hypocrites. Now, some of it's not fair. They want us to act a certain way. They have their own standard of love, their own standard of generosity, their own standard of justice. It's not a biblical standard. And we can't live up to their standard because we have God's standard. And so some of it's not fair, but some of it is. And the truth is, we are all hypocrites. Because the standard of the gospel is so great. It's the perfect righteousness and holiness of God. And if I ask anybody to stand here that perfectly lives their life in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would have to sit down. And I'm guessing none of the rest of you could could stand up. We just sang the song, yet not I, but Christ in me. It's not me that upholds the standards of the gospel. It's Christ that did it and gave that to me as a gift. Now, As we think about living in line with the gospel, I think we immediately jump to personal holiness and righteousness. 
how we should live as individuals in a way that is fitting and, and glorifying to God. And that's good. That's true. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. You were taught, speaking to Christians, to the church here, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created it to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The church changes us. This is what we looked at last week. It changes us as individuals. It has to. If it's not changing us, we're not truly looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just paying lip service to it. We are dead to sin, alive in Jesus Christ, and we are to live this out in everything that we do. But again, the point that I want to make this morning is let's not stop there. The message of personal holiness is good and it is important, but I feel like throughout the history of the church over the past 100 years or so, we've so emphasized personal holiness and we've misplaced the idea that the church as a whole is to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. He's saying, look, if you've really accepted the gospel, he starts there. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any of this means anything to you, He doesn't just say, now just go out and live a holy, righteous life. That's assumed. Yes, that's good. But he says this has to change how you interrelate with one another, how you talk to one another, how you treat one another, how you speak to one another. It has to change our relationships in the church. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. There's a great problem we have as a church. I want people to come to church. When a visitor walks in, I I want them to come back. I want to reach out to them and say, hey, who are you? We'd love to have you. This is who we are, and it's so exciting and so great. I want them to like the coffee. (laughs) It's not so wrong. I want them to to think that the worship is meaningful and and is a good experience. I I want them to feel like the message is is applicable to their life and it is the word of God. So I want them to feel welcomed and I want their needs to be met. But that can go off track so quick. Because we can start changing what we're doing to meet their needs. And we can start putting the focus on the coffee or the music, or the style of preaching. What needs to draw people to the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ being seen in each one of us. That needs to be the fundamental thing that draws them. And frankly, as a pastor, I'm getting to the point where if someone's coming in and that's not like their heart's desire... To, to see and hear and listen to and experience and participate in a community shaped around the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
If, if they're more interested in style of worship or, or other legalistic matters, I, I just, I feel this, this answer welling up inside me as a pastor that I think I'm going to use more often, which is we might not be the church for you. Because I don't want to make the mistake of being so desperate for someone to come and get involved that we lose who we are in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that the best thing for anyone to come and to unite with us around that will truly give them hope and change their lives is the gospel. And I think when they see that in our lives and in our our words, in the hallway, in the way we interact, when they see it in our homes outside of Sunday mornings, it makes a huge difference. And so Paul is talking about this and he says, look, this is how you are to live with one another and treat one another if the gospel means anything to you. And then I can see Paul going, hmm, only I had a really good example of what that looks like. What could I use to show them the way that we should treat one another? And he goes on in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who did what? Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul's saying to these Christians, yeah, you should be good. You should be humble should love one another. But these aren't just idealistic things that are floating out there because they're just good and helpful. They are things that display the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, you want to know what your church should look like? Look to the cross. The cross. This means... The cross is not just a truth that we believe in or a message that we proclaim. It is what shapes us as a church. It creates a new gospel-centered, cross-shaped culture in the church. Think for a second. Do you like the way our culture is going in this world? You don't have to say it. You don't have to raise your hands. But isn't it something we complain about all the time? Oh, the culture this, the culture that. Guess what? God put something in the world and he, he says this is what a culture built around his love and his truth looks like. And that thing that displays that culture is the church. We so often rant and rave and point fingers at our culture. Our role is to point fingers at the culture of the gospel and to hold that up for the world. We need to give them an alternative. Something that they can look at and say, I'm sick of what I'm living in. I'm sick of the way the world is going. And you guys have something different. I want that. First John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. John expounds upon that idea of what a, a gospel-shaped culture in the church looks like. We love because he first loved us. Now, now understand, I just want to stop there for a second. He says, we love because he first loved us. I love that because he's not saying we love because love is good. Of course it's good. He's not saying we love because love is helpful. Of course it's helpful. What happens 
And I was thinking this in Sunday school. It's amazing how much this overlaps with um, Bill's class on Titus. What happens when love no longer feels good? Well, then we reject it or we redefine it. What happens when love no longer feels helpful? It's not really meeting my personal felt needs. Well, then we go somewhere else. We look for something else. John writes, we love because he first loved us. Why should we keep loving? Not just because it's helpful, because that could change. Not because it feels good, because that could change. But because God first loved us. And guess what? That never changes. That defines who we are on something that never, ever changes. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The love that we share as a church for one another, the love that we demonstrate and live out in tangible ways for each other in the church is more than just good things in a church or good friendships. It is a display, a testimony of, and a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the world desperately needs to see it, and so do we. We need to see the gospel in action constantly. This is what keeps the focus on the gospel. Have you ever heard the phrase, the elephant in the room? You know, maybe there's a tension between you and someone else. And it's, are we going to deal with the elephant in the room? What about the elephant in the room? You know, as Christians, we're so quick to set up little elephants. Oh, I love this person, but, but they think differently. They like the King James Version. I like the NIV. And we just, boom, elephant. I love this person, but, but they're older and I'm younger. Boom, elephant. I like contemporary music. They like traditional music. Elephant. We set up little elephants all the time. And we want to argue over whose elephant is more important. Friends, as a church that is shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ, we always have a bigger elephant in the room. And the bigger elephant is the gospel of Jesus Christ that overshadows everything else and puts it in its place. That's where we have to keep our focus. Let us be defined by, known by, and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church must display the cross. We've looked in past sermons. I won't go over it again, but but the cross is foolishness to this world. Paul says that. If it was foolishness 2,000 years ago, guess what? It's still foolishness today. They haven't figured it out. But they need to see it in us. We need to display the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's my point. On Sundays... Some are going to come. They're going to come to Sunday school and they're going to hear a message and it's good. They're going to come here and they're going to hear a message and I pray that it's, it's good. But I truly believe that the most impactful thing and the most important thing that they will see or experience is you. And not only how you treat them, but how you treat one another and how we interact with the world. Are we displaying the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we welcoming visitors in a loving way, knowing that we are outsiders apart from Jesus Christ, but in Jesus Christ, we are accepted graciously. So whether they look like us or not, we can reach out to them because that's how God reached out to us. What about what we talk about? How we speak about other people, especially those with whom we disagree with. 
Even those outside the church, Bill brought up the point this morning in Sunday school about how we speak about those in public service and in our government. It's okay. It's good to say this is wrong and I disagree with so-and-so and what he's doing. But it fundamentally undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ when we say that guy is such an idiot. You've just put yourself in the place of God and God sent his son to die for that person and you're saying that they're not even worthy of your respect. Christians today, I feel so ashamed about how we talk about public figures. It has got to stop. We are becoming known way more for how we discuss politics than how we point to the cross of Jesus Christ. Stop it. The world doesn't need your politics. It's never helped them. It never will. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It won't change their eternity. The gospel will. Let's be known by that. Please, let's get back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be intentional in everything that we do. When you leave this room and you go out there before you go home and you're talking to other people, just have in your back of your mind, is what I'm saying undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it displaying the cross? That doesn't mean you can only talk about Jesus. You could talk about football. That's okay. But speak in a gracious, kind way. Find somebody you don't know rather than finding your best friend. Find somebody you haven't met. And go get to know them. Ask them about themselves. When the world sees the church, what is it they're seeing? What is the impression we're giving them? Are they seeing people changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they seeing a group that is knitted together by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are they just seeing us and our own ideas and our own desires? They must hear the truth. We must proclaim the truth, but we also have to display it in everything that we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this calling to display the gospel of Jesus Christ, to display the truthfulness of the cross in how we live, how we live and interact with one another, and how we live and interact with this fallen world, this is a high and difficult calling. In fact, I would go so far as to say that in and of ourselves, it is impossible. And that's kind of the point. Because when the world looks at us and says that what they're doing is impossible and it doesn't make sense, then we can show them and point to that thing that makes it possible and the only thing that brings it all together, which is the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, may we be known more by the cross than by our opinions. May we demonstrate the gospel so that others would look and say, I want what they have because I've never seen people treating each other the way that they are treating each other in that loving way based on something so deep and so life-changing. May we have that opportunity then to proclaim, to speak the words of the gospel and speak the words of the cross that they may be saved, brought into that community of faith and be part of your testimony to this world that you would get all the praise and the honor and the glory through what you are doing in and through us. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.